seeing the conditioning nature of experience. There can be, or hearing about it, let's say, there can be a temptation to uh, try to think back to see what happened before that, what happened before that, and to try to track or figure out how things are conditioned. And I wouldn't recommend that. Um, what, what seems to happen, uh, hearing about the possibility of seeing this kind of conditioning, um, as the mindfulness gets more continuous, the possibility for seeing the conditioning becomes natural. And so the continuity of mindfulness with this understanding that it's useful to see the conditioning um, begins to be curious about that. And again, so it's a curiosity that is motivating the exploration and not a trying to figure out or do or track experience. So I just wanted to Encourage, keep encouraging the simplicity. I'll probably say that over and over again because the, 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 the content of uh, our minds, the, the processes at work, what we see is really complex. And it, in terms of describing it, it takes words and and I personally have found it helpful to have these words described and to have these processes described. Um, but the mind that can see these processes at work is really simple. In fact, the simpler, the better. <laughs> the simpler, the less effort, the less doing the more continuous the mindfulness gets and the less effort we actually need to, uh, to be uh, in the field of continuity, the more is revealed. And so this simple, simple mind, simple process or simple awareness reveals an incredible complexity. Our minds are a phenomenal I was going to use the word machine. <laughs> I don't know another word for that at this moment, but something like that. It's a, it's a phenomenal, complex uh, working. Looking at this um, conditioning process, starting this exploration of noticing the conditioning, um, is the exploration of one of the five aggregates, the aggregate of volitional formation. And I'll talk more explicitly about that this afternoon. Mm, One more thing about the uh, continuity. We have a belief sometimes about the continuity that, you know, when I talk about the continuity of mindfulness, being able to reveal the complexity, we might think that that content, we have to churn, you know, 
get that continuity going and you know it's going to take a long time and uh it's gonna you know it's got to be there for a while and uh, before I can start seeing these things and so I might as well just forget about it right now forget about trying to see anything just keep that effort going but in my own experience what I've seen is that there can be moments or, or little kind of bursts of continuity that can arise in this process of relax, receive, allow, and learn just that process of continuing to um, encourage mindfulness. We can almost stumble upon little short bursts of continuity of mindfulness. And if we are available for those in a very brief time, two or three seconds of continuity being there. It's like the, the mind can just see, it's like it, it sees in that short burst something very clearly, very quickly. And so we have to be available for those. We have to be available for those little moments. Um, but those can happen those can happen in the midst of daily life. I've had them happen in the midst of daily life. I have them happen on retreat. You can have them happening going to the bathroom. You know, it can happen anywhere. And so this is a, a plug for that, you know, just being available. Uh, Jack Cornfield sometimes says, you have to be present to win. You know, this is, this is with a sign in the Las Vegas casinos. You have to be present to win. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of like this, you know, to, to be there for those moments. And then um, one other piece, because I, I mentioned just kind of in passing the, um, I said that the job description or the nature of mindfulness is to witness. And that was the word that came to mind in that moment. But, you know, words can be potent. They can be powerful. And so I want to clarify because the word witness often creates this idea of some kind of a, a distance, a watcher and something watched. Um, and sometimes that's the experience with mindfulness. Sometimes it does feel like we're just kind of stepped back and watching the show Other times that witnessing process, and another word I could use maybe is reflecting. The, the job of mindfulness is to reflect experience like a mirror. But again, that might create the sense of separation. Um, at other times, um, the way that mindfulness or that witnessing or that reflecting feels is as if you're right in the middle of the experience. An image that came to me at one point on, my on one of my retreats was it, it was the experience felt something like every single cell in my body was a mirror. Like this 360 degree uh, embodied and knowing experience. So that word witnessing, you know, sometimes 
um, if, if you have an experience of mindfulness as being one way, where it feels like you're kind of stepped back and at a distance and feeling the kind of ease of that, you might think that's how it's always supposed to feel or that's the way mindfulness feels and might go looking for that. Or you might conversely feel, you know, so one of those moments where it's just like you're right in the midst of experience and uh, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Somehow that feels deeper or more profound. And then you feel like, well, that kind of stepped back is like, I have to fix that or I have to find the, my way to this other experience. At one point, I talked to Saira Utejaniya about these different experiences I had. He said, well, what is the experience for you when, um, when your mind feels very balanced? You know, what is that? And, and I said, it, there's two different ways I'm experiencing it. Sometimes it feels like I'm looking at the experience from a distance. It's stepped back. It very, feels very balanced, easeful. Other times it feels like I'm right in the middle of it. It might feel like there's a whirlwind, but there's also stillness and balance and ease. And he said, um, the, the attention or the mind is noticing two different aspects of a similar experience in those two cases. In one case, the... Uh, the mind is kind of oriented or interested in the difference between what is known and the knowing. And so there's a feeling of separation. And he said, in the place where it feels like it's all happening together, the mind is recognizing that the knowing and the known happen at the same time. So it's a different, uh, kind of looking at it from a different angle, a similar experience. And so again, the encouragement to just notice how it is for you. What is the experience for you? And as I mentioned last night from one of those questions, a wordless, the possibility of a wordless being with, rather than a, uh, um, a mind that is describing it to ourselves. Although, you know, Describing is a phenomenon that um, pr I think probably all of us have. It's a kind of a lower level of thought, the mind. I think I mentioned it the other day, the mind that just kind of uh, is a kind of a narrator of our experience. And that narrator can be revealed as we, uh, as we practice. And um, Sometimes people feel like, how can I, how, how can I stop that, or, or you know, what am I doing wrong? I'm thinking so many thoughts. If it's that kind of narrator experience, uh, can be useful to just recognize, oh, background chatter is happening, or narrator is happening. And so there can be, um, there's the possibility of the wordless mindfulness, and sometimes what that wordless mindfulness reveals is the mind narrating its experience. So there was a question about eight precepts. Um, 
Is there a possibility of eight precepts, Eileen? Is there juice available? And okay, so if you are interested in eight precepts, um, uh, we'll put up a a sign on the board uh, for you to mark uh, if you'd like to do eight precepts. How many of you are interested in in eight precepts? Just curious. Several. Okay, great. Um, so I'll uh, put up the sign so that the um, the kitchen mentor knows the quantities for the evening meal, essentially. And and uh, there will be some, will it be in the yogi fridge, the juice? and Okay, so the juice is there. It's uh, in the door. Okay. And uh, is there anything else available for eight precepts? Okay, so there's some cheese and some chocolate for eight precepts. Um, it is certainly useful. It is not necessary. It can be useful. It depends on your system <laughs> whether it's useful or not to do eight precepts. It can simplify the evening. Um, um, just, And I also find for myself when I eat less in the evening, I'm more alert. So it can enhance the alertness of the mind in the later hours of the day. Uh, it is not necessary, but if it is something that you'd like to explore, you are welcome to do that. Um, uh, different cultures have different allowables in the evening. Uh, in uh, in Burma, it's pretty much just sugar you're allowed. So, you know, hard candies and honey and uh, well, there's something called jaggery, which is a kind of a palm sugar. And uh, I can't remember the name of this other thing. It's this mixture of oil and uh, it's like ghee and honey and... Uh, so there's some allowables there, um, along with um, all pure juices, things like that. Uh, in Thailand, they include uh, cheese and chocolate <laughs> as allowables in the evening. Um, you know, my understanding is that those are allowables for health reasons <laughs> rather than for hunger reasons. <laughs> And so notice, you know, if you are on eight precepts, um, you know, <laughs> are you making a meal out of cheese and chocolate in the evening? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I understand that they're kind of allowables for the digestive process. You know, chocolate tends to be a laxative and cheese tends to be a binder. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh. <laughs> um. Enjoy your day. <laughs>